0: Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. We have a great episode for you guys. Before we get to it, we're going to talk on this Blue Wire podcast network about a great sponsor of ours, TickPick. You have heard me talk about them before. Going to keep talking about them. They are the original no-fee site to find your tickets. If you're looking to go to the Cardinals-Browns game this weekend, use TickPick.com. Okay, That's dot com slash breakdown. You'll find the best available seats at the best cost, and the great part is, like I said, The ticket price you see when you pick your tickets is the ticket price at the end. They are not going to throw those ridiculous fees that are sometimes up to 50% of the seat cost just to get you to put them in your cart. That's where TickPick differs from the original sites out there. Okay, so use them. Take advantage of them. If you find a cheaper ticket on something they show, they'll match it up to 110%. It's a great opportunity right there. That's TickPick.com slash Breakdown using that promo code breakdown, get $10 off your first purchase. When you're using this, make sure you use the desktop, not the mobile app, but then download the mobile app because the mobile app has great connections to Uber, uh, different locations near the stadium that you can get uh, places to eat, things like that. Very helpful for me when I was out on the road. So it's a great application to have on your phone, but to use that promo code breakdown, go to the website, take advantage of that offer today, tickpick.com slash breakdown. So we're going to talk about the Browns offense, right? We all know how it went. We were all privy to the game. We all hated the result, but when you're talking about the offense and again, reminder, I broke down the defense yesterday, went through that in great detail on the podcast Uh, also went through it with some questions in the Monday Twitch Rewind that I posted as an attachment to that. You can find that at the usual places. Uh, Hopefully you've listened to that by now because you do, I think, need to go get some perspective on how the defense played because the defense was not good and it's trying to decipher the why and whether it's a repeatable thing. So go back and listen. Also posted as a free, uh, a little free giveaway to tease you about what you can get every week through the OBR. I do the defense all 22. I'll do the offense all 22 today when you when you uh when you're listening to this podcast it'll be your wednesday uh write up so i'll have this i'll put in written form plus way more details and film breakdowns that go in the all 22 offense write up so that'll be available but go back and check out the defense if you have not done so but again 42 points no team in the NFL i'm not sure if it's no team ever but i'm pretty sure it was no team ever has scored 42 points gone for over 500 yards without turning the football over and lost a game so they lost 47-42 uh, we we know the the shortcomings that happened at the end of the game. Kevin Stefanski's talked about him. He's sick about the decision to throw the football on second down, but not on third down. Then the decision to punt. I've gone through time management scenarios. I've talked about it all. If you haven't heard them this week, go back and listen about how they could have handled maybe going for it on that fourth and sixth instead of uh, punting it away because you could have saved timeouts, potentially saved them. If they scored, you get the last possession with over two minutes on the clock, technically four timeouts. I've been through it. So, you know, go back if you want to hear those things. We're going to talk about the offense today, looking at where they are schematically throughout the year and kind of where they're at, you know, particularly with today. And at the end of this uh, little offensive tangent, I'm going to go on here. I'm going to have my episode today. I was on Cleveland Browns Daily today. If you missed that, I think they post their podcast on their feed. You can go back and listen to it. I also went on the WFNY, my good friends who I started this career with. Uh, went on that with Josh Paloja and I'm, it's, it's attached. And it was a really good interview. I felt really good about a lot of the questions, and we really did like a quarter-season review. So that will be at the end of this little tangent again, like I'm going on here about the offense. That'll be able to be found on this pod. Go listen to it. We talk about everything, offense, defense, special teams. You can check it all out. I think it's really informative. That's why I wanted to put it on this pod. But for the offense metrics, right? So for this game specifically, I think you got to talk about a couple different things. I'm going to try to pull up and look at the number and split of zone to uh gap schemes because we're going to talk about the run game first. So, we're talking about run game. We're going to deal with how they're balancing their run schemes, right? Cuz you know, Kevin Stefanski's offense by nature it's typically going to be viewed as a zone scheme, wide zone scheme, play action, boot concepts. That's always what people talk about. But they've become more of a gap team over time, which I think is particularly interesting because it's an evolution of who they are offensively. It's changing. It's 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 morphing. In this game alone, though, they were more zone, a double the number. So for the year, the Browns have run 89 gap schemes. That's power counter uh, you could probably throw pin pull as a part of that because you're gapping down and then pulling people. So 89 gap schemes to 64 zone schemes on the year. And again, zone is split zone, inside zone, tight zone, uh, or the traditional outside or wide zone that uh, that they like to run. And they were deadly in wide zone. Okay, uh, we're going to kind of tie in our offensive line conversation into these these metrics in terms of what they did. Uh, offensively here. So they ran 21 zone schemes to 11 gap schemes. Wyatt Teller, Joel Batonio, J.C. Treader, Blake Hans, all were on the field for every single one of them. All of them graded collectively in run blocking above 70. 73.6 for Blake Hans, 76.7 for J.C. Treader, uh, 82.8 for Betonio. Wyatt Teller puts in 83.8. In the zone, particularly focusing on that, and it's a little easier to grade better in zone than it is in gap because it's really working in tandem instead of gap where you're working isolation blocks. in in zone for Teller, 77.1 for Batonio, Treader 79.5, Hans 76.4, really, really, really fantastic. Even Odell helping out from the wide receiver position of 73.2, David Njoku 78.5, Austin Hooper 70.3. So they all collectively stepped up, blocked zone well. That's why you see the high volume there. Okay, Jack Conklin in 17 snaps had a 62.2, really his grade on the day, one of his worst run blocking grades of the year. Now, he could have tweaked that knee before when he left the game, but that's his number 55.0, sorry, 55.8 for the day for Jack Conklin. When James Hudson came onto the field, he had six snaps uh, in the run game, four of which came in zone. He had a 55.1. So Hudson struggled, as you would expect your young rookie tackle who's been rushed into involvement here. Okay, and again, gap schemes. The 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 predominantly the guys who played the most, the eleven snaps in this scheme. Uh, These are down across the board: fifty-two point four from Teller, seventy-three point seven from Betonio, fifty-three point eight from Treader, sixty-two point one from Hans. Okay, uh, down here at the bottom, Hudson forty-five point two, Conklin forty-eight point seven. So they didn't block gap as well as they did zone. Hence why they almost ran nearly double the amount in this game. Game to game, they figured out. That's the thing that you probably don't talk about enough, or hear about enough, or 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 people don't talk to you directly about enough, or tell you. And that's what I'm gonna try to tell you. When they figure out something is working better than other things, that's what makes the Browns' run game so freaking deadly. Is that between Callahan, Van Pelt, Scott Peters, the assistant line coach, they figure it out whether in game plan or in game, and sometimes both, that they can do certain things. And a higher clip, a higher effectiveness than the other. That's why they're so deadly. That's why teams can't—they can't contain them for four quarters. It's nearly impossible. You're looking at rushing grades in this game, okay? Kareem Hunt, and Nick Chubb, the only two ball carriers, the run types that they—they they were allowed to run. Kareem split five and five. He had five zone and five gap, which again, Kareem, I think, is the better gap runner. Okay, he had 61. Uh, let me make sure I'm telling you this this metric correctly. Uh, uh, yards accumulated on design runs. So that would be obvious that he would have that 61 total in the day. They were all design runs. He had five missed tackles forced. He had a long of 12. He had one 10-yard carry. Again, he split those five and five, had a run grade of 71.5. How Nick Chubb gets a run grade of 67.0, I do not know. He had yards after contact 134. He had 10. 10 missed tackles forced in this game alone 52 yards is his long run 10 plus carries four of them he had 16 zone caps which again i don't think there's a better pure zone zone runner in the nfl find him whatever man it's not it's not out there you can come at me with derrick henry dalvin cook I'll, i'll argue it till the day i die he had 161 yards on the day he had three breakaway runs totaling 96 yards He was, uh, again, as always, as advertised, phenomenal. And I continue to try to preach to folks to stop focusing on the negative with this offense. And you're going to hear me talk to Josh about it in a minute. And really just appreciate these running backs. They're so good. Green had five catches for 28 yards in this game as well. Nick pass blocked really well. 77.3 pass blocking grade in this game. So I wanted to note that. Also, pass blocking for the O-line now. Gotten off my tangent about the uh, running back tandem, which I will continue to do so as many times as I can because they're so dang good. Uh, For the big group here, Wyatt Teller and the likes. So it's not as kind, but I thought they were really good. 38 snaps for the four that played the most. uh, 23 for Conklin and 15 for Hudson, just to see you know the metrics. So true pass sets, you know I like to talk about those because those are the true toughest position test for an offensive lineman. You know the defense knows you're going to throw it. And you're really getting very little to no help. You got to anchor and you got to block when everybody knows pass is coming. So whatever situation you want to know dictates that. Usually third and long or fourth and long, those are your true pass sets. There were 19 recorded true pass sets for the Big Four here. Uh, Teller grades out at a 78.3. He did not allow uh, anything. No pressures allowed. 59.3 for J.C. Treader. Uh, he did not allow any pressures. Joel Batonio gets the lowest mark, 40.7. He allowed two pressures, two hurries he was responsible for. Blake Hans, 19 snaps, 54.9. Again, how they differentiate this, I am not totally sure. He did not ha- allow a recorded pressure. Jack Conklin was an 80.0 in his 11 snaps, did not allow recorded pressure. James Hudson, 62.2 on his eight snaps with one hurry uh, allowed there. So, listen, pretty good. Now, I think a lot of it was game-planned in. I watched it. They were reducing splits of wide receivers. Those guys would get a piece of a defensive end to alter their path to the quarterback and slow down. What you do, the, the benefit of chipping is... You can get a hip check into a defensive end. Not only does it change the angle, it slows down the speed at which they get to the offensive tackle. So it gives the quarterback an additional maybe half second or full second, which we know in time to throw metrics is important. It gives them more time. So they use tight ends. They use running backs. They use wide receivers. They did everything, and it was great. Only one sack on the day. Only three true pressures on those true pass sets. Only four pressures on the entire day. Again, when you're facing Joey Bosa uh, with your with your rookie fourth right, your fourth round tackle at right tackle for uh, what was it 15 pass rush snaps and Blake Hans as we know has struggled as an outside lineman when he's been forced to play outside. It's a huge ask and to only give up four pressures on the day. Kudos to the offensive line who I just thought played phenomenal football. So that should be noted. Uh, we have talked ad nauseum now uh, on the Twitch and everywhere about baker i'm gonna talk to josh about baker here momentarily he was low 70s across the board for everything one big time throw but i'm telling you listen they keep four metrics at at pro football focus the kept clean under pressure not blitzed and wind blitzed 71.8 71.8 71.0 72.7 so he was a c minus quarterback on the day now why did the metrics look so good? Because they had 205 yak yards, which helps. And Baker deserves those. I mean, he's he's played in plenty of games where his guys have not given him any help in yards after catch. So you're not going to hear me hate on that. But as far as what the quarterback was asked to do, he did it at an average to below average level in this game. Again, which is fine. He's a manager right now. The way he's playing, you can't consider him anything else but a manager. But if you want to look at like where Baker is for the year, which I think can give you a little bit better. Uh, he's best when he's kept clean, an eighty-one point nine pass grade when kept clean uh, this season. I think it's this season. I hope he's at. A, yeah, that 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 adds up. The one hundred seventy-one dropbacks. So he's uh, eighty-eight of 118 one eighteen for thousand one hundred and one yards, four touchdowns, one interception when kept clean. The the metric that continues to concern you over the last two years is under pressure. He has a forty point three total grade, forty-two point six when under pressure as a pass grade. He's nine of twenty-seven, one thirty-nine, one interception. When he's not blitzed, 63.6. So teams, again, smarter to sit back than than Blitz Baker, and unless you can guarantee you're going to generate pressure because he is 77 of 115, four touchdowns, one pick when not blitz, but he's grading out in an 81.9 when teams blitz him. He's 20 of 33, when he's blitzed. So those metrics tell you enough. Again, how does he continue to get better? He continues to make the open throws, processes coverage a little bit better, and improves the under-pressure metrics. Now, not all court, almost every quarterback in the NFL struggles under pressure. It's, it's ridiculously hard. It's the hardest thing a quarterback can do. He's just got to get better at it. There's more opportunities to come. We're only in week five. We've only played five games. It's, it's not even a quarter of the way over. Maybe it is a quarter of the way over. Uh, yeah, your math sucks, Jake. So, yeah, they're a little over a quarter of the way over, but uh, the, he's got plenty of time to rectify this. We'll see how it plays out. We'll keep watching the data, but I thought Baker played – Okay, he missed some plays, some plays he's been ripped on social. I had to try to step in on one of them. I think you can get a little carried away with that, but uh, the, the the thing that continues to, to worry me the most, and I, I talk again to Josh about this, is he was 0 for 5 on deep throws, and that's 20-plus yards. At a 44.5 grade on 20-plus yard throws downfield, and he was 0 for 6 last week, so he's 0 for his last 11. So if you're talking about where the shoulder, the front shoulder is impacting him, I've tried to uh, illuminate uh, my detail on how this could be happening on the Twitch show and in some places I visited. It's the, long, the elongated throwing motion when you really have to take the left arm out away from the football to generate that fulcrum of, of momentum. That's where he doesn't seem to be handling it well because he can't take the left arm where maybe he wants to take it and the timing is off. So that's my best guess. I've gone into detailed other places, so... Uh, you know, I hope you've heard it by now, but maybe you haven't, I wanted to give you a little idea if you, if you haven't heard it now, you maybe have an idea what I'm talking about. But last thing we need to touch on is the receiving grades. Uh, as we talk through those guys, then I'll give you some data. Then we'll get over to our interview with Josh, uh, receiving grades in this game, David and Joku, as you would presume should have gotten a really nice score. 92.0 grade. He was pretty dang good in this game, creating yards. He had 110 yards after the catch alone. He had seven catches on eight targets for a buck forty nine and a touchdown. Donovan Peoples Jones, finally, my guy gets some targets. Six targets, five catches, seventy yards. Made a nice long run. Uh, He had thirty nine yards after catch. It's a great day. He had twenty three wide targets, six slot. uh, Sorry, twenty three wide snaps, six slot snaps. Okay, we talked about Kareem Hunt. Rashard Higgins had a fifty seven point nine receiving grade. He had three catches on five targets, twenty nine yards, a touchdown. He was more your slot guy. 19 slot snaps, only six wide snaps. He only created four yards of yak. That has never been a strong point of uh of of what Rashard Higgins does. But, but a nice game. He had, as he do he, as he always does, he has multiple first down catches in this game. Najoku had four to lead the team. Uh DPJ had three, and Kareem Hunt had two. Uh and Odell had one of those first down catches. And I should mention too, Kareem Hunt made a missed tackle happen, and as we know, David, when he broke away for his long run, had a missed tackle created. Contested catches. This is what you really like to see for Peoples Jones. Four for four on contested catches. You love that metric for that long of 42 yards uh, that that he broke away on a comeback. It's more of a it's more of a sail route that he turned into uh, a, a little bit more by separating at the end of it. But again, four for four is great. Anthony Schwartz had uh, no catches on one target. He was missed an opportunity to catch a touchdown ball on a pylon route. Pointed that out on the Twitch stream. If you haven't seen that yet, go check it out because I'm not sure why Baker didn't throw it. Nick Chubb catches one screen for nine yards. And then Odell, I've covered it at nauseum, two catches on three targets, 20 yards. The connection is not there. And sometimes it's Odell dropping the ball, rarely, but it's most of the time they're either unlucky and not finding him or the quarterback just isn't finding him when he's open and giving him opportunity i don't know maybe it gets better i'm not sure how they're going to handle it i'm not going into detail anymore i've gone on big shows small shows everything in between talked about it i have no perfect answer for it nobody has a perfect answer for it the browns front office i'm sure doesn't even have a perfect answer for it it is a mystery to everybody genuinely nobody wins from the conversation happening everybody has their own opinion. I don't know. Not going to talk about it anymore because it just brings anger and vitriol from people on both sides of the fence with this conversation. Listen, all I know right now is we're reading data and the data is not good. If they want to go to the places they hope to go to Super Bowl, perhaps 13 and six have to figure out some kind of connection. And really, it to me, boils down to how does Kevin Stefanski and how does Baker Mayfield find ways to get those playmakers the ball? Now, Kevin has given Odell some opportunities and he's been open. So how does Baker meet them in the middle and figure that stuff out too? These guys are smart guys. There's got to be a way to figure this out consistently without overcooking it or overdoing it or forcing it. That's the biggest challenge for this offense. Who can run and who can put points on the board They have to figure out that aspect of it. That's literally the only part of the offense that they can't figure out. If they can somehow crack that, you know, that enigma, that code, that riddle, then they can go places they've never been because he's that good and he's already, you know, he's just coming back from ACL surgery and he's open quite a bit. So you hope they do, because if they do, man, would it be cool and man, would it be really fun and this offense would go to places it's never been. We gather Jarvis Landry has a chance to be back this week. We will closely monitor that. Before we get over to the interview with Josh, I want to give you a couple pieces of information on the game from a personnel and motion standpoint. The Browns are in 11 personnel, 32 times, 47% total. They have creeped higher in that. Still 29th in the league coming into this game. It'll probably creep up above 40%. My metrics are a little bit higher because I count Demetrik Felton as a wide receiver, not a running back, because he doesn't do any running back things. He's a wide receiver, while places like Sports Info Solutions and I think Pro Football Focus don't count him as a wide receiver. They count him as a running back. So in this game, 47%. Five of those were from empty sets. The the, the uh, 11 of those snaps also came against dime defense from the Chargers. The Browns really only run their 11 personnel from shotgun. They only had five under center snaps when they have three wide receivers on the field like that. One running back, one tight end. 12 personnel, very low volume here. Their 12 personnel is 20th in the league, 22% normally. They're down to 9% in this game. Six snaps total, five of six against the nickel look from the Chargers, one versus base, one in, uh, and one of those snaps came in gun empty. 13 personnel, they lead the league in this. They have 80 total 13 personnel snaps this season. The next highest team has 45. They love to use it, three tight ends. Two of those were from gun empty. Baker was two for two on the day for 93 yards from gun empty from 13 personnel. Chargers usually matched it with five nickel defender, five DBs, that nickel look. Five percent of snaps came from twenty-one. Janovich just went on IR. We'll see how Johnny Stanton does coming to fill in. Okay, three of those four looks the the Chargers match with nickel, so they really weren't afraid the Chargers to match heavier personnels with uh with nickel looks. Twenty-two personnel, which is two uh, two running backs, which is usually a running back fullback, two tight ends. They had three of those. Three of those carries went for sixty-five yards and a touchdown. So big day when using 22 personnel, which they use just 4% of the time, and then they were in goal line for one-snap, 23 personnel. And they used, uh, let me check here, 34 of 68 plays were motion. They they used motion half the time, which is about what they do. They're low in the league in shotgun percentage. On th- they're 32nd in the league coming into this game. That didn't change much. And their motion at 50% is sixth best in the NFL. So that stays on brand, too. So I will have so much more for you guys on the All-22 Write-Up on the OBR's website. Check that out today. So, you know, all the information you could possibly need with some film clips. So now let's get over to our interview. Well, I was interviewed by Josh Paloha of WFNY. Let's get over there right now.
2: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: I'm your host, Josh Bola. Tonight, I'm luckily joined by former Waiting for Next Year contributor and now the OBR xO extraordinaire Browns <laughs> go-to guy for anything Browns, honestly, Jake Burns. Jake,
0: thanks for joining me tonight. And how have you been? Well, first of all, my pleasure. He's some kind words there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm just uh I'm just a dude, man. Just a dude who watches a lot of football. I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me, of course, anytime. And uh, I hope you're doing well too, Josh. You're just
1: a dude that knows a shit ton about Browns and just X's <laughs> knows that it's crazy. Just like I'll I'll literally after work on Monday, I'll just like scroll through your timeline just to see the film clips that you bring up. Cause I trust anything that you say I trust, I hope most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I can. I can. But seriously,
0: real, real quick. Yeah, but
1: seriously though, you're when it comes to brown stuff, especially film and X and those stuff, you're my go-to guy. So, anytime I can get you on the podcast, I want to get you on the podcast. So here we are. All right, let's talk Browns. Five weeks into the season, they're three and two. Could easily be five and zero if they knew how to finish off games. I guess first topic. I hate that it has to be the first topic, though. Baker Mayfield. He, the shoulder injury, obviously, hurt him a little bit. Um, It affected his accuracy for a couple games, but he got the accuracy back Sunday in uh, Los Angeles. I'm not too worried about the way he plays the first three and a half quarters, but so far in Kansas City and L.A., I am worried about how he finishes
0: a game or lack thereof. Yeah, he's, he's playing uh, about C-plus to B-minus football. His grades sort of bear the same metric as that number. He is not taking advantage of every opportunity presented to him. Uh, I think that there have been several different plays that he has missed down the field to to the tune that he could have upwards of 10 touchdown passes right now. It's not been perfect, but he has been good enough to win most of their games with, which, you know, it's a matter of how you want to view quarterback play. If your quarterback play is viewed through the prism of my football team's winning and I look at the box score and it looks right, cool. I mean, that's fine. Football is not consumed the same way by every single person. If you are interested in how Baker is really, truly playing uh, snap by snap, if you're interested in how he gets to a different level, how does he get the national respect that nobody seems to ever want to give him? Is there a reason those people think that? And I think the way I do, am I crazy or are they crazy? Uh, There's granular stuff to study with quarterback play, believe it or not. It's not all just pick up the numbers and look at them. And here it is. There are things to decipher. And with Baker, there have been plays he's left on the field. He's also done a nice job of, of cutting down turnover worthy plays to which any quarterback should get credit but to the detriment of missing some plays down the field. So again, he's been C plus B minus. He has uh, uh, not hit the level that we all hoped coming off of 2020 that he would hit. And that has led some people to feel uneven about where things sit with him. Uneven about the performance of the offense kind of collectively, where they're going, what their ceiling is. Are they a real Super Bowl contender? Uh, because not every team is uh, the Texans or or you know teams that you you can carve up uh, to an extent. So in the Chiefs too, I mean the Chiefs defense pretty terrible. Uh, so with Baker, it's not to me the shoulders one thing. You know the shoulders a thing he's dealing with. He's if you include yesterday, which it's not now; it's two days ago. Sunday's zero for five on throws twenty yards downfield or more. He's now zero for his last eleven on twenty yard downfield throws. So that's a sign of significant deep downfield accuracy issues that we have not seen before. So if the shoulder's a problem, fine. Uh, If there's some uneven uh, feelings about his offensive line in front of him, fine. But he's got to be better. Like, we think there's enough talent when healthy to be a Super Bowl contender on both sides of the ball. But can, when the Browns are backed up, and you referenced it a second ago, Josh, You know, when there's a minute 30 on the clock and no timeouts, or there's a minute left with a couple timeouts against Kansas City, uh, can he move his team down the field and score big touchdowns so that's the stuff he has to prove and that's where some of the frustration sets in i mean it's a wide diverse fan base in terms of opinion on the quarterback there's a faction that will never let you tell him he does anything wrong there's a faction who will never let you you know you tell them that he does anything right and then there are a lot of uh, what i think are pretty intelligent people right in the middle who understand the nuance with all of it but uh, it's it's still early Josh man it's it's five weeks in we'll see where it goes from here but there uh, I think there are quiet rumblings not only from fans but but those in the in the organization who need him to be better they know he has to be better uh, to make things work you know they, there's got to be it cannot always be it's not it's not only just the out of structure or out of rhythm throws right we're creating. You know, here's a stat for you. In his first year in the NFL, out of rhythm throws, which means you have your three-step drop, you hit the top of your drop, you throw it, uh, you know, those are rhythm plays, right? One step, come off play action, two steps, throw it, that's in rhythm. When you have to break your rhythm, whether the defense breaks your rhythm, the protection breaks down, or the cover, the routes are covered and you have to scramble a move, he had 12 big-time throws out of rhythm, out of structure, out of, out of of out of that setup in his rookie year alone. He's only had five since 2019. So he's Oof. not creating. He's not creating out of the pocket like he used to his rookie year. And you can be okay, Josh, if you're eliminating turnover worthy throws and you're playing pretty well in rhythm. If you're if you're hitting your drop, the ball's coming out, it's effective in that manner, right? He was really good from week seven through seventeen and into the playoffs doing that, eliminating turnover worthy plays and making the clean pocket in rhythm throws. Well, this year he's missing some of those throws. He's not creating out of the pocket, and this is where you get into this situation where if Kevin Stefanski doesn't dial it up perfect, it's going to fall apart. It's not going to work out. And the thing that is now worse, and what we're talking, and why we're talking about it, is even when Kevin is dialing it up perfect, sometimes he's not hitting those throws, or he's not seeing it the way it needs to be seen. So again, Baker's been fine. He's not. He's not this huge reason that they've lost some of these games. They're three and two. He can continue to get better and better as the year goes on. But uh, for now, you ask the question of how's he playing? He needs to be better, but he's not being terrible. So it's like, you know, but what's your threshold? So you decide as a fan base what you want to tolerate or accept, and then you go from there, you know? So that's probably a big part of where you're at with the quarterback right now. And it's tough, too, to watch two of his, his classmates, Lamar and Josh Allen, really thriving. That's a part of it, too
1: absolutely yeah i mean as you brought up josh allen lamar jackson them doing really well and baker not i wouldn't like you said he's not struggling but he's average and with how much talent the browns have i feel like a game manager type quarterback like if you want to go back to ohio state in 2002 2003 with craig krentel he was a game manager he had enough talent around them where they could go i equated josh to this
0: like he's an artist so there are quarterbacks who are artists who can yes. create they can take a blank canvas and they can create something beautiful even when maybe the things around them to do it aren't ideal. Can create beauty that way. Baker's more of a trace it guy right now. He's a tracing artist. You know, if somebody lays I out love the thing that they metaphor. want from him he can trace it pretty well. That's kind of who he is. Is he ever going to be a guy who is a genius? At the position, not just a genius mentally, but physically, I don't know. I don't know, and I don't know that he ever will be. We're three and a half years into this thing, and that's kind of the best metaphor I have for what he is. Now, you can win with tracers. You can you can win with those guys, but uh, you know, it's again, it's again, what your threshold is, and not just what our threshold is. It's what the 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 Cleveland Browns' threshold is. What do they want from that position? Do they view it as? We don't want to hard reset the quarterback spot, so we will build and do every single thing imaginable to help him get there, help us get there. Or are they going to say, we're not going to sign this guy long-term, and we are going to try to to play the dice and believe in our process and try to pick a quarterback we think can do some of the things Baker can't. Huge, huge, huge decisions looming there uh, that we don't need to get into right now. But really, that's how I sort of view uh, the 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 whole Baker Mayfield setup right now.
1: I absolutely love that metaphor. It is like perfectly said. And sometimes for a tracing quarterback, you need them to be an artist, such as the last possession in Kansas City and the last possession in LA this past weekend. And I'm, I'm, believe me, I'm not hating on Baker. I think he's doing just fine, but there's times that he needs to step up and he hasn't yet. But then again, we're five games into a 17 game regular season. There's still plenty of season left. Hopefully he adapts to his injured left shoulder, which obviously will not. Heal 100% in season. It's just not going to happen. But yeah, I I I wanted to get the Baker topic out of the way because it's something that everyone's talking about. Even though the offense just put up 42 points and the Browns still lost. But hey, when it comes to the most important position in football, it's going to happen. The discussion is going to be there no matter what. All right. So besides Baker, you brought up Baker not being able to throw the long ball. I think that's part of the reason why the wide receivers have struggled to find the end zone this year. Also, with Odell coming back from a torn ACL, Jarvis missing time the last three weeks. There's just a lot of the wide receiver room has a lot of talent, mm-hmm. but I haven't looked at their stats as like a whole. I know there's some way to find it, but I could not find it before hopping on here. They, one, I don't think they have a touchdown this year as a group. And two, they have to be one of the lowest groups like group of wide receivers as a whole in the NFL in terms of wide receiver yards. Correct.
0: Yeah. Uh, not to rain on that, that stat. I mean, Rashard Higgins did just catch their first wide receiver touchdown on Sunday so that you are correct. I forgot. That about helps. I, I guess yes. yeah, it's all good. It's not a, it wasn't a memorable play. So, you know, that's their first, you know, some of it too is quarterback delivering the football. Some of it is opportunities are low. With the Browns, uh, they they play, I, I think that they lead the NFL by double the amount of the second team and 13 personnel. So that automatically means that you're only going to have one wide receiver on the field for a, a 30, 40% of your total play snaps. Like I'm looking at yesterday's data. I just did all of my charting. Uh, should say yesterday again, it was Sunday. They played 22 snaps from 13 personnel out of 68. So you know, do the math. It's, it's, it's around the 20% mark or something like that. Uh, it's above it. They, 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 they do. God, that's terrible math. They're, they're near 30% or a little over good, good gracious. I'm an English. Guy. I was, um, yeah, you're
1: good. You're good. You're good. Yeah. yeah so, so that, 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 that
0: automatically like eliminates a lot of opportunities for the wide receiver group. So yeah, it's a mixture of everything. It's a mixture of uh, quarterback missing real chances to deliver downfield to them or the offensive line being just a bit off to protect him on some of those shot throws. And again, you got to be on the field a lot. A lot of teams run a lot of 11 personnel. I mean, there are like eight teams who haven't run a single snap of 13 personnel. And the Browns have run like 90. This year, I could pull this up for you in two seconds. I can tell fancy is making up for all the teams that don't do it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's crazy
1: right. how often he does do it. And I mean, yeah. but when you have David and Joku doing what he's been doing, especially in on Sunday, you mm-hmm. have Austin Hooper being one of the highest paid tight ends in the league, and then you have Harrison Bryant. I mean, who's not going to use three tight ends sometimes? And even two tight ends are, I mean, I'm fine with them using it, not only brings an extra blocker at times, but it also,
0: yeah. if you have David and Joku and Austin Hooper use two, two two tight ends as much as you want they've run 80 snaps of uh 13 personnel the second place team ooh, excuse me second place team has run 45 so uh they do a lot they've run here's even a bigger nugget for you they've run 80 snaps of 13 personnel they've only run 64 snaps of 12 personnel so they don't they are either in 11 personnel or 13 personnel. And there's really, you know, some some middle ground there with 12. but, And then, two, think about it, Josh. If you combine 12 and 13 personnel and you say 64 plus 80, you're getting into well over the 50% number, which eliminates a normally, uh, in the NFL these days, a wide receiver on the field right there. And then you get even crazier and you wanted to go look at like 21 personnel or 22, so they've run, if you look here, they've run 10 more plays of 22, so that eliminates a wide receiver. If you go 21, it's also going to eliminate a wide receiver. They've run 35 plays from two. so they're not their opportunity for wide receiver play is lower than almost anybody in the league, as it is. You mix in missing some of those big plays. You can see where, like in the future here with the big decisions on Jarvis and Odell's contracts, you're not you, are are you really spending your money wisely by having those positions filled by expensive players that's something you have to ask yourself so we'll see what they end up going with in the future
1: they already showed us that they're going to spend money at tight end with austin hooper but yeah like you said it's one of those things where if you're going to use tight ends that often you might as well put the money in the tight end room and get a good blocking tight end and a good receiving tight end and just you know throw in my receiver that can catch the ball and make some plays sometimes i yeah i never i I guess I haven't really thought about that, but yeah, with those stats and 12 personnel, 22 and all that, I mean, just throw in the wide receiver at times and there, there you have it. Although I guess when you throw in a wide receiver, if it's like Anthony Schwartz being a rookie, I'd rather have Jarvis out there. But when it's money that you're talking about in the salary cap that you're talking about, I'd rather have a really good
0: tight end than
1: I would not yeah, say compare, than a really okay, good so wide receiver,
0: but compare it to, uh, Compare it to some other teams. So the Browns have run 11 personnel, 100, and we take that away 137 times, okay? Let's talk about what the Cardinals have done. Let's find the Cardinals, and I can pull this up for us in just mere seconds. And the Cardinals have like 8,000 wide receivers. Yeah, they have four four or five good wide receivers, and and people think Cleveland has four or five good wide receivers too. So if you uh, filter this down to offense – You filter it down to running backs and tight ends on the field. You can get this answer in a few seconds, and then you're going to see what I'm talking about with opportunity cost. So the Cardinals have run. Let's see here. We're live doing this live. All right. So if I'm looking at the data right, they have run. 175 so that's a huge uptick if you go to here's even cincinnati cincinnati is huge 11 personnel team let's do them real quick i mean you can just see why like jamar chase tyler boyd t higgins now t higgins has been hurt a little bit so that might have it might have changed some of their thought process here as we should look at uh you know possession is probably important there so you know you're looking at the offense and not the defense right that would always be important because then you're looking at how many they've faced don't want to do that live stream, folks. It's possession, offense. So, okay, so on field running backs is one, on field tight ends is one. If we can get it right. 218 from Cincinnati. So, you know, you're looking at 90 more opportunities for th- you know, multiple wide receivers on the field. So there's your difference. That's why they don't get the great production. They have to be perfect, right? They have to be perfect when throwing to these wide receivers sometimes because the route numbers aren't as high. So there you go.
1: Yeah, so I guess it's that, the usage like you just distressed, and then the injuries too. I mean, Odell, he might not. I feel like he's not 100%. And we won't get into the chemistry issue. I don't think there is one. If there is one, there is one. I'm not going to. We're not going to get into that. And then Jarvis being out. I think Jarvis Baker has missed Jarvis. I mean, I, that's pretty clear. It, I mean, I think the game in LA would have gone much differently if Jarvis is in there for those third and short plays and stuff like that. But I mean, it is what it is. The Browns are three and two. The offense just put up forty two points. So us complaining about the offense too, I guess, is kind of tough because they literally just put up forty two points and lost.
0: Again, it's what your expectation is. The NFL is driven by passing, so you want you you know you watch Justin Herbert throw four touchdowns. You watch him throw for three seventy. You know it's great. Like I I've been harping as hard as I can about how special the Browns' two running backs are in this offensive line and how we should be appreciating it more, but you want your quarterback to be a large part of it to know that you can throw on anybody and you're in every single game. And when that that doesn't happen to an extent, you know again a reminder the Browns have not been a great yards after catch team. They've not been good in that metric for a year now, but they put up 200 yards after catch in that game. So only a hundred yards of bakers were were thrown in the air. Two hundred came from guys making plays on the football and creating extra yards, which is great. Every quarterback deserves yak yards. Hell, Justin Herbert in the same game had two hundred and fifteen, or maybe even two twenty. So that's all fine and dandy. It's great. You just uh, you have to keep some perspective with this stuff, right? Like you, you just got to see how it all fits together. And, and and your expectation for offense is what's going to determine your happiness. Like if you don't, if you get bothered by the fact that they are not scoring touchdowns through the air and they're running for 230 yards. Yeah. You're probably like, what's wrong with the Browns offense? Well, they're, you know, you put up 500 yards. So that's not just passing. The NFL has got this frame of mind thing where it's like, everything is delivered. The happiness gets delivered to you through how many passing yards your quarterback has. It's not it's not the case, man. If you can run, you can run. And that's like becoming so esoteric these days that it's hard for teams to defend. There is nobody that has shut down Cleveland's running game in a neutral situation, either close seven points to 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 seven ahead or whatever. Nobody's shutting them down. So it's again, it's but nobody hops on to debate the best running back in the NFL. They want to debate quarterback tiers. It's all they want to talk about. So that's what you get.
1: Yes, I completely agree. And before we move on to running backs, I do want to talk about Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. It's worth noting that the Browns became the first team in NFL history to Mm -hmm. total 500-plus yards, 40 points, and no turnovers and lose. So as much as you want to blame anyone on the offense, it was literally the first time in NFL history. So on to the best running back duo in the NFL, even though some people like Bill Simmons may disagree. Kareem Hunt Nick Chubb. It's awesome cool. to have when either when either of them are on the field, I have complete trust. I mean, you can say Nick Chubb should sometimes get more curious. It is what it is. I like that their uh keeping them fresh. But it's awesome to have two running two, I'd say two top ten running backs in the league on the same cool. team. And I mean, watching them be fresh against a tired defense in the fourth quarter, I get so much enjoyment out of that.
3: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about.
0: Yeah, it just all I'll say is they're really good. You don't mean, need me to sit here and bend your ear about how good they are because I think you can all see it. Uh, they're they're different, unique in how they approach the position, how they play the position. Just enjoy these dudes because you'll never you'll never see a skilled tandem like this in Cleveland the rest of your life. Probably it's rare to see two guys who are as equally adept at doing this thing and can make it work and are are. Uh, unselfish, not demanding things from the franchise and all of that. It's just, it's really rare. It's really rare. And uh, that's all I got, Josh. Not a great answer, my friend, but just enjoy it because when it's gone and you can't run the football anymore and you're mad about it, you're going to think back to, boy, I really missed 27 and 24 and what they were able to do. And I'm just telling you, it's going to hit you in the face someday uh, where you're sitting here getting mad about quarterback play all the time and, and you're not enjoying uh, the gift that is these two running backs on a football field.
1: Absolutely. I couldn't agree more before we move on to the defense side of the ball. The offensive line considered one of the best groups in the NFL injuries have cost mm-hmm. them Jed, What is your opinion on Jedrick Wills? Do you think, well, the Browns actually finally sat him out for a full game instead of taking him out there with him at like 70% and him not being able to mm-hmm. fin- finish the game. I like mm-hmm. that. They took him out and let him rest. I think that's huge for his, for the long term, because I feel like as Browns fans, we're not used to thinking long term in the playoffs. Yeah. But this year we should. Um, what are your thoughts on just the offensive line as a whole, the injuries, whether it's Wills? I know Conklin came up uh, limping on Sunday, Hubbard being out for the year, Nick Harris, his injury. At, is the depth and the talent on the offensive line taking a hit due to injuries, or what are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, I mean, Jed gets rolled up the, the first quarter of the, or second quarter of, of game one, and <laughs> it's a high ankle. I mean, I don't even know what kind of ankle it is or whatever, but he's clearly not moving as well as he traditionally moves. Go back and watch his rookie year snaps. That guy gets off the line as well as anybody, and he's not moving well, so he needed a week off. He could probably use two or three weeks off, to be completely honest with you. You lose Chris Hubbard, who's your swing tackle that you were counting on. You let you let Kendall Lamb walk because you thought you could get by otherwise. Now it's looking a little tough, right? But you, you're not expecting to lose Hubbard. The triceps, clearly they thought he could push through it and figure it out, but he couldn't, so they IR him. You don't really have anybody on the practice squad that you love, and, and James Hudson is a guy you really, really, really want to be patient with, but now you have no choice but to play. Nick Harris is beat up. Yeah, man, like this happens. This happens to depth in the NFL on offensive lines. The Browns are fortunate that none of the guys who really matter, uh, Betonio, Tretter, uh, and, and and Wyatt Teller have had injuries because like the depth behind them can get hurt if your frontline guys can keep playing and they've had that fortune so far. But if they lose one of them or they lose Conklin or they lose Jed for a real long period of time, the way that the depth behind them is beat up, it's almost like tradable or go find some street free agents to sign, to get uh, some security here because they are beat to hell uh, at the positions behind the starting guys. So uh, I don't know, man, I don't know much about them. I don't we're gonna have to see who they end up putting up on the roster and, and, and rolling with, I think I saw they signed back Alex Taylor today. who's a nice developmental young player, but I don't know, man. James Hudson, it's okay. He's trying. They're going to keep scheming to help. Blake Hans is not a tackle, but he's trying his butt off. Michael Dunn sounds like he's getting healthier, which does help me feel better about something happening to somebody along the interior. He can step into play because I'm very high on Michael Dunn. But uh, yeah, it's it's being tested. The silver lining of what's being tested is that it is not the guys that matter most. So you keep your fingers crossed and you knock on wood that that doesn't come to fruition at any point this year.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, when, when Cause healthy, they're good,
0: Josh, they're really freaking yes. good. And I break them down every week. And it's yes. another case where we're spoiled by how good these guys are. Cause you forget what bad offensive line play looks like. I mean, you don't break down the Jags or you don't break down the, Broncos or no offense to some I could name some team that's playing pretty well on the offensive line but like
3: the Steelers
0: yeah well yeah sure the Steelers and the Bengals are very inconsistent up there too so we get all honed in on our group of dudes here in your team that you care about and you forget that there are some really really tough offensive line situations and when you get into those situations it's not fun it's really not fun
1: Absolutely. So again, yeah, health is obviously uh, an issue. Hopefully it's not too big of an issue going forward. Let's transition over to the defensive line. Miles Garrett, Jadamian Clowney, who was missed on Sunday. Tack McKinley, Malik McDowell. I love what they're doing
0: up front with those front four. Yeah, the the brothers Malik or something. I don't know what the nickname is, but those two dudes are playing pretty good. I think Malik Jackson graded pretty poorly, but... uh... I still think he plays really good. He, he's high motor. He's high effort. I think he's pretty good. I think he's good. I think Malik McDowell has alleviated a lot of concerns we had about a second defensive tackle. He continues to get better and better every week, in my opinion. Very tough block. Had a great sack on a twist on the Tex exchange play there with, with Miles, where he ended up splitting the guard tackle on the high side, getting into Herbert on the back. Uh, he's good. They're good. And Jordan Elliott has been the perfect role player there, playing some snaps uh, the way he has. You know, you mix in Andrew Billings getting a couple snaps here and there. And what I thought was going to be a perceived weakness of the defensive tackle room, I think they've been pretty dang good. And then Miles is Miles and somehow finds a way to reach new levels every year. You hope he can really string together 17 straight because he's got defensive player of the year written all over him if he can. And then when Clowney's played, you know, I, I know he just missed his first game, which was really weird. He went all week with an elbow label and then is a knee injury and is why he was scratched so it's very strange and concerning because he's had knee trouble so you don't love to hear that but when he's been playing he's been so good I mean he's just it doesn't pop on the stat sheet but that's what we knew about him he anchors his side of the field he plays the run game viciously he pressures the quarterback relentlessly and maybe he doesn't it's just a lot of weird luck like he'll be there but the ball gets out barely or the quarterback flips it at the last second like He's good though man and he's the perfect robin to what Miles does on the other side but you got to talk about Tack McKinley too who's playing his butt off and I posted a clip of him today with a nasty bull rush like I just he played 43 snaps which is obviously a season high for him uh this past Sunday uh, but is is his motor his effort which is what made him so interesting and compelling to Atlanta to select him in the first round is there it's live and he's playing really really hard and this is what we were hoping we would see We went through the scare there. He was clearly dealing with something personal. It's not our business to know what it is. It has never come out. It doesn't need to come out, but he was dealing with something in preseason, and we were afraid of losing him for that reason, because he can be a rotational difference maker, and he has been. He's been playing really good football, and he had, I think, four more pressures yesterday, Sunday. I keep saying yesterday, uh, Sunday. So yeah, the defensive line is in a really good spot right now. They have to they really have to shore up the consistency of run lane discipline, rush lane discipline with these mobile quarterbacks that are coming. You got Lamar twice. You got, you know, you got uh Kyler Murray coming this weekend. You got to really shore that up because even Joe Burrow can get out and run on you if you, if you don't, uh, because you really don't want to dedicate a spy to those players. So that's a, that's an area I'd like to see them get a little better at, but they, they're, you know, they're playing the run really well. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's tough to be bothered at all by how the, Defensive line is playing right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, I love what they're doing. Led by Miles Garrett when Jadavian's healthy, that is a lethal one two punch from the front four to the back seven. I'm very excited about J.O.K., I think he's mm-hmm. proven a lot already through five games. Um, Denzel Ward, if he can stay healthy, Greg Newsom, same. But I really liked, I know they gave up 47 points. I really like the way that Greedy Williams and AJ Green played for the most part on Sunday and the with the way they have played all season. And keep in mind, I know it's been talked about millions of times that defensive pass interference penalty, it should have been offensive pass interference. That was on AJ Green. I just feel like they were thrown into the fire given the injuries and they've played pretty well for the most part.
0: Yeah, if, I mean we could go one by one. The linebacker room Malcolm Smith has done admirably when when tasked with filling in for Uh, Anthony Walker now, he did not play. He only played three snaps Sunday. I'm not sure what the reasoning was for that. I mean, I know is their guy. Uh, I know they like him. I just thought Malcolm Smith deserved a few more snaps. But they clearly wanted to play JOK, who I think got in the mid-60s. He was all over the field. He was on there for a long duration of the game. Uh, And is different. Like He just moves at a tempo that is different from everyone around him. He clicks and closes when he deciphers a scheme. Uh, If it's outside the tackle box, that sideline-to-sideline range you want to talk about, Phenomenal. He'll bring the he'll bring some hit. You know, he's not a big dude. Clearly, we knew that, but he will bring some force behind him. And, and a lot of people were really afraid about how he would handle inside the tackle box linebacker play. Uh, could he handle offensive linemen getting into him and connecting with him and shedding them? Well, he doesn't let them do that. I posted a clip on my Twitter feed today of what he does. He's very jittery, short area quickness to where he'll give a two step move that defeats an offensive lineman inside the tackle box, but doesn't lose gap integrity at the same time. So he'll there for his run fit but he won't let Lyman get into his core. You can't block him if you can't touch him. And that's why I thought he could still be successful as a box linebacker. He's playing great. He's got a really nice feel for run. Uh sorry, for pass fits where he's supposed to be, how he's supposed to cover. Nice knack for punching the football out, too. He forced a fumble there on the sideline on Eckler Sunday. So, I again, I said it today. I think he will be among the best at his position in no time, playing great football, grading out extremely well collectively for the season. The Browns' second-best defender, in my opinion, from a consistency standpoint behind behind Miles. Uh, others in the linebacker, Taki Takitaki, playing a really nice will role. He, he plays about 15, 20 snaps a game, played 17 snaps Sunday, had two or three stop tackles. He'll play the run game physical. You don't want to expose him in pass coverage too often. Still the case. Better than he was years ago as he's matured in the NFL. But a really ideal 4-3 Sam linebacker in base sets when the team plays two, three tight ends or two running back set. Right, Josh? So uh, I think he's, he's okay for them. In the back half, yeah, Greedy has been a – and Greg, and Greg Newsom too. When both have played, they've been like, man, these guys look right. Like this is the Greedy we thought we were going to get when they got him out of LSU two years ago. He looks right. He's moving right. He fits the scheme. He's got a great comfort in it. Now, remember, he didn't get to play in this scheme last year. He only played under Steve Wilkes, so he's playing a little different scheme, a little different coaching. I think he fits really well right now and has a great feel for things. Two highly graded, over-80 coverage games. Love what I'm seeing from Greedy. Hope the shoulder's good. He was doing a little bit of the hand-squeeze stuff you don't want to see from a guy with nerve issues, but uh, I got faith in him. got faith in Greg Newsome, who's so twitchy and is playing so well when he's been playing. Hopefully, the calf can heal. The beautiful part of this is, up until this recent Denzel uh, Ward issue is that those two could, could be patient. You know, greedy was playing so well that Greg could be patient. We'll see if that schedule's now rushed, depending on where Denzel is with the neck. Denzel has been a letdown to me. He is just, he's just not, he's not, he's not playing with the anticipation that I think makes him so good. He's been very reactionary instead of anticipatory. And that has caused him to be behind on some throws I thought he started to bounce back against the Vikings. He, he made a nice play downfield in that Justin Jefferson fade ball uh, to break that play up late in the fourth quarter. Had some nice jumps on on a couple different schemes. I thought he started to show glimpses in the Minnesota game of the Denzel that we all know is there. Now, again, it's week five, Josh. He's got a neck injury. He only plays nine snaps. He's hurt again. Is he going to miss another game? And you know, availability is the best thing a guy can have, and we would be looking at four straight years of a guy missing time with injury And that comes into play when he's demanding top dollar to play corner in the NFL. The data says he's missed four or more games every single season in the NFL. Right about four is his number. He's missed a quarter of almost every season he's been in the league. We'll see if that doesn't continue, if the neck is fine. But I didn't even see anything that really, like he was on the field, non-contact, and then was like, poof, he was gone. And I don't yep. know when it happened. Maybe it happened plays before that. I didn't see it. I'm going to try to go back and watch, but he was just gone. So uh, if he can figure it out, you know, you want Denzel on the field. But A.J. Green, listen, man, he's continued to, to make strides. I made note of it in camp. I was impressed with him. He only allowed his first real extensive time. The Minnesota game, he played one snap, and ironically, Minnesota targeted him. He was right in K.J. Osborne's hip pocket, thought he was going to make that play, didn't make it, took a heroic catch from Osborne. But again, he was, I think, three catches on nine targets for like 25 yards in this game. He had that, There was a bogus pass interference call in that fourth and four that I thought he was being held. The NFL's got to say something about that. I think eventually they will in the blown call report. But again, dude, like, Everywhere he's supposed to be, according to what I've seen on film, was very good at reading schemes, feeling them out, was in Mike Williams' hip pocket a lot of times. I like him. This is your fourth corner. This is your fourth corner. He can play. He's an NFL dude. Like, he can play. I don't know what his ceiling is, but for now, I'm like, I have no fear of him being in the game if the communication is right. From the back half, John Johnson's been a letdown. Uh, And I don't know if it's tied to John not playing the position the Rams had him playing I don't know if it's learning a new defense. I'm not giving up on John Johnson's as hell, but like it's just not the same guy that I watched on film with LA. And again, I don't know if it's because he's being asked to defend the deeper portions of the field like all game instead of creeping into the box and doing some of the Swiss army knife things he's been really good at in his career. I'm not sure. I just know that he's not playing the level of football they want him to play or need him to play because – it could be any number of reasons. Now they did give him the green dot this past week to place the trust in him to call the plays. I don't know if that was a reason for mis. I don't know. It's all conjecture, but I just, I feel like John has not been the guy that we had thought he was going to be. Now there's a ton of games left to play. You can figure it out. It could all work out, but he's not, he's not doing the things or making the impact plays. Let me put it that way. He's been fine, but he's not making the impact plays. I think we all expected out of him. Ronnie Harrison, tough, because he's been kicked out of one game and then he was hurt in the other game with the mile. So he's really only played three games and he played really, really poorly Sunday from everything I gather from the communication aspect that was burning them. But I still like Ronnie's versatile. He'll play dimebacker. He'll creep into the box. He'll sit middle and play that cover three lurk. He can handle those things. I think he's a good enough football player. I don't know what the money will be. And I don't know if Cleveland will be interested in him long-term, but for the versatile safety position, if you can move Ronnie closer to the, sorry about that. If you can move Ronnie closer to the line of scrimmage, it's probably better for your defense. So uh, take that for what it's worth. They've been bringing on Grant Delpit in dime situations, dime uh, meaning multiple six defensive backs when they when they want to move Ronnie down close to the line of scrimmage. Grant's been eased back into things. This is his third week. I thought he got exposed a little bit last week uh, or on Sunday. Here is uh, all all their safeties did ironically. Uh, but 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 Grant is doing the things that I wanted Grant to do. He's moving well. He's tackling well. He made a great play in the Minnesota game, lunging and breaking up that Adam Thielen ball on the sideline, tracing it down, running it in the hip pocket, doing everything you want. I have high hopes for Grant dealt with the rest of the year. I think it's going to work out just fine. I think he's a nice player. They obviously didn't play well Sunday. But for a quarter season check-in, coming off an Achilles rupture to where he's at right now, I think it's only going to get better from here. It's just going to keep getting more comfortable. They can use him versatile slot player when they want him to be, can be a deep half safety, can be a single high free safety, only 23 snaps Sunday. I'm not sure if that's tied into the blown coverage. Maybe Joe Woods was a little bit upset with him. They only played 14 dime snaps anyway. So that means they didn't really prefer to play him over Ronnie Harrison in those two safety sets. We'll see where that goes. Uh, Troy Hill. Again, up and down. He was—he's been really, really good in some games. The Minnesota game, I thought he was phenomenal. He's tackling really well, which is good for your nickel. Your nickel, sorry, you need your nickel to be a really good tackler in space. Uh, when you combine the word tackle and nickel, it comes out weird like that. Uh, you need <laughs> tackle in space, and he's doing a pretty good job of that. There have been some games where he's covered well. Uh, this this game Sunday, he did not cover all too well. Gave up two first down completions on key. Pivotal third and one on a fourth down, a fourth and seven in the third quarter. Cleveland's up 27-13. You needed to stop. He gave up a sail route. It was tough. He got called for a holding in the first quarter on a, on, a, on a drive where it would have ended because Herbert threw it away. And I don't know why he was just grabbing the tight end in the middle of the field. It was strange. It was no reason for that. He was in the right position. So again, uneven. He had some really nice stop tackle plays in the game too, but his coverage marks were bad. I think he gave up six of seven catches in his direction for 76 yards. Ronnie Harrison gives up I think 70, uh, 80 yards of his own. And he's credited with giving up three touchdowns in that game, which I agree with right now. And Grant Delpit's responsible for set 102 yards of his own. So you add all those up guys, you're looking at 300 yards close to it. And that's where this game was lost. The communication mishaps in the back half and poor safety play, but it's not the end of the world. You live and you learn, you get better. The guys are good enough to handle what they're being asked to do. Just get on the same page and, and things can be okay. But the defense has been uneven. It's been up and down, new personnel, getting things figured out. Uh, we've seen some dominant flashes, Josh, and we've seen some flashes like we saw in just the second half. People forget that first half, they held the Chargers to a buck 65 and 13 points. They were playing well at halftime. And then the floodgates opened and they couldn't get a stop. They couldn't get off the field. All those fourth down conversions, four fourth down conversions in the second half, couldn't get off the field. Got to figure out a way, man. Got to figure out a way. And It could come from a pressure uptick. I don't know. Herbert was two of seven when the Browns brought five or more players, You know, a true blitz. Uh, The Browns truly blitzed seven times in the game, and Herbert was two of seven for 25 yards on those throws. Obviously, it was 370 yards and four touchdowns when they didn't blitz. So could we see an uptick in blitzing? I don't know. I just think that the Chargers really had them schemed up well in the second half, and the Browns busted a couple plays. And all of a sudden you're reeling and you're trying to defend when you got a lead and it's just uh, the floodgates open. So uh, I think I think the defense has been fine. I think they'll continue to be a top half of the the top half of the league defense, probably settle in 12 to eight range. Josh, like something like that seems right to me. And that's good enough to win really important games in the NFL and really good enough to take into the playoffs and have a chance to win the thing. The games that really matter if they're clicking at the right time.
1: Yeah, I mean, you just summarized that perfectly. I'm very high on this defense, especially at full full strength. I mean, yes, they just gave up 47 points. One, that was due to Justin Herbert just being out of his mind at times. Two, injuries. I mean, when A.J. Green and Greedy Williams are your two starting cornerbacks when if, at full strength, they're CB3 and CB4. Mike Williams and Keenan Allen are just – they're eventually going to beat you, whether it's their speed, their size – I mean it, it is what it is. I'm just very I think I'm much higher on this defense than some other people. But I think once they the new guys get more chemistry with together and they learn the defense better, I mm-hmm. think this defense can be very, very good. And like I'll hey, I'll take the number eight defense in the NFL. Especially once December starts and you have you're giving the ball to Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt and getting the defense tired and then boom. And before we move on, I was I was gonna move on to our last topic but you brought up the fourth downs are you how do you feel about Kevin Stefanski's aggressiveness going forward on fourth down this year
0: keep doing it keep doing it trust your players yeah. it's going to work out it's yeah. going to balance out even if they took the points on some of those uh to take field goals they would have written roughly around 34 points they have gotten even with the failures the touchdowns that they've gathered on some of those have equaled out to roughly 38 points so yeah, keep keep being aggressive. I have no problem with it. I think there will be a regression to the mean on that eventually, uh, and they'll start to scheme up some better plays too. I think defenses have just got lucky with the right call at the right time. The Odell drop is another example of just like blah. It's open. It's in your hands. you got to catch it. Like I think that stuff will balance itself out. I'm not going to panic about it. I think Kevin is the right type of aggressive, and uh, we should appreciate that more than question it. I think that gets questioned. I'm not saying you're doing that, Josh, but I just think it gets questioned a little bit too much
1: no i completely agree with you i love the aggressive play calling so i'm i completely agree with you on that all right last and certainly not least special teams it seems as though the browns finally found their kicker chase mclaughlin is perfect from extra point and field goals so now obviously when they find their kicker now they have punting problems (laughs) jamie gillen he had a great rookie well a good rookie year struggled last year in 2020 and the struggles have carried over to this season he has let's see he has 15 punts for an average of 41.8 yards per punt that is good for 31st out of 32 32 nfl punters i think one i think they need to move on from the scottish hammer i i love the guy but if you're competing for one of the top spots in the NFL this year. You can't have a punter. That's only punting the ball 41.8 yards per punt, but two, him being the holder for a perfect chase, McLaughlin so far, knock on wood. How does that factor into the Browns decision to move on from the Scottish hammer or not?
0: Uh, it's, I guess it's, it's up to pre for what he considers to be important there. I think you could probably with the level of athlete find a lot of different guys to hold for your kicker. I think you could figure that out. I don't know. They're, they're loyal to their guys. They like Jamie, they like his work ethic, uh, but it's not working right now. He's not performing. He's not getting hang time. He's not getting distance and he's not pinning people deep inside their own territory with well-placed punts either. So you, you heard uh, Kevin make a point that I think will ring true here. He has to be better. And if he's not better in the coming weeks, there will be consideration to move on from him because it's just punting. And there are a lot of guys in the, in the world who can, who can do this role, who can step in and punt the ball the way that you're needed to punt it in the NFL Uh, Jamie's way too inconsistent we all know about the week one meltdown too that has not added up in our framework of how he's played this year Uh, it's not added positively I should say to the framework of how he's played this year so it's a it's a collateral uh, thing here potentially right where everything collectively adds up the drop punt that cost him maybe a big portion of that Kansas City game uh, three straight weeks of really terrible field position changes like you know, if you're gonna you're gonna punt there, Kevin does on fourth and six with three minutes left. You need to flip the field to the other end, and they ended up catching a line drive punt, and returning it down to the to their own 48, and it doesn't change much of the field at all. So, it's a problem. It's it's on their radar. Put it that way. That if he doesn't start playing well, they would consider a move. It's not ideal, like you said, because he does a nice job holding for McLaughlin, and they're they got a good thing rolling with the kicker right now. But you have to weigh the positives and negatives and say this isn't worth it. It's not worth it to have a guy holding kicks like this. We'll figure out somebody else. Kate Keenum can hold kicks. You'll figure it out. So we'll see where it goes from here. But he is on like uh, he is on high alert. And I always I put it in two frames, Josh. I'm either concerned or I'm panicked about something. I think that's a good way to frame your NFL perceptions. Uh, I am panicked about the punter. It's a problem. They've got to figure it out. Otherwise, everything else is rolling. The kickoff team is phenomenal. Uh, they're making plays. AJ Green and, and JOK have been like huge standouts in that in that phase. And that was a, a rough phase for the early portions of last year. Uh, otherwise, uh, punt return solid. Felton's been fine. Uh, I think their kick return team, when they decide to bring the ball out, has been fine. Anthony Schwartz of late has been running those out, making a couple people miss, and getting some nice returns. Uh, collectively across the board, special teams had their highest grade other than the punter uh, from Pro Football Focus this past weekend. They continue to get better. I like where they're at special teams wise, but they got to find a guy who can who can punt the ball downfield and change the field. And and it doesn't matter until it matters. And when it doesn't work out the way, you know, the the way you need it to work out, it's like, well, hell, why do we punt anyway? And you can't be asking yourself that when the decision to punt in and of itself is more challenging than it's ever been, Josh. You can't, you know, there's a lot of forward-thinking minds about fourth downs and how to handle it. And that's great. I think that's where the game is going. Hell, in 10 years, we could be talking about a game that doesn't even involve kickers. It really could, the way it's moving right now. But for now, when the decision is grueling, do I want to punt here? Uh, you know, it's a long. We've come a long way since the trestle ball two thousands, right? Like, if the decision is, do I even want to punt here? I do. And then your punter can't handle the basic thing he needs to do effectively. Then it's like, man, <laughs> what are we doing? You know. So uh, we'll we'll see how it shakes out. But yeah, you, you you I would imagine inside Berea they're panicking a little bit about what they've seen from their punter. Uh, and it's got to get better, and it's got to get better hastily. It cannot, and it cannot be a lingering thing, or we'll see that. But pay attention, you know. If you want to really know if it's coming, pay attention to the tryouts. Teams having, you know, those tryouts always get announced every week. If they're bringing in punters to punt, then your days are limited, my friend. Yes, I mean,
1: partners, is one of those positions where if your name's being said a lot, that's not a good thing. Like I couldn't name twenty out of the thirty-two punters in the NFL, probably. Jamie Gillen's name is being said a lot, which is obviously a problem. But hey, like you said, the special teams outside of punter, you couldn't ask for much more than how they're playing, whether it's kicker, whether it's kickoff returns, or special teams coverage on both punting and kicking. So that's it of the rundown. Over Browns are three and two. What are your any overall last thoughts on how the season's
0: drawn five games in? Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I, I thought that they could be 3-2. and two. I thought that was a logical outcome. It was a tough road trip. Going east coast to west coast is never easy. And uh, that's a pretty good Chargers team. Not great, but good. And, uh, you know, it's a tough thing to ask. But they were <laughs> – they had every chance to win it, multiple times chance to win it, and, and it didn't shake out, whatever. You got the Cardinals coming in after – you know, the good thing is you got three home games in a row and you only go to Cincinnati after that. so You don't have any far travel for the next month. You can, you can play the Cardinals tough, then you get – Uh, a Broncos team that is extremely uneven uh, on a, on a primetime stage. And then you get Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, everything you want's in front of you still, man, three and two, a couple of those, those two losses are games that man, you scratch your head. They could have won. They could be five and oh, but you're three and two, Accept the fact, don't let the Chargers beat you twice. Don't let it linger into this week, get it done. Uh, You move on from it, bury it and and go win a winnable game. I know that the Cardinals are undefeated, but they're ripe to be, to be picked off here. And I think they'll have a, a nice crowd at home to, uh, to make it happen. It's really four o'clock still a primetime slot. It's a big game. The NFL is going to be watching it closely. There'll be a lot of eyeballs. Hopefully first in stadium brings it and makes it a raucous environment. And you get to four and two, you can get to five and two, and then you play two home uh, home game with the Steelers who are not very good. And then you go to Cincinnati and, and lay the chips down. You got every chance to be seven and two, four weeks from now. So, you know, take care of it, man. Big thanks to Josh for having me on. What was a really good episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I know it touched on some things from defense the night before, but as you're kind of checking in at the quarter mark, I think it's okay to rehash where they're at and where they could potentially be going. So, again, check out the WFNY podcast, which Josh does a great job of with with, uh, many hosts uh, on that network that do great, Craig Lindell and many more. So check that out continuously. Also want to remind you that we have uh, some some really good – uh, things going on throughout the week that maybe you don't even know about the Baker film room, the chalk talk that will be uh, on the OBR Twitch Wednesday night with with Kyle Murphy on O-line play, John Stephenson on on the defense coverage. And then also I'm doing Brownie Bites, which is on the Bleacher app, which is a new app, very forward thinking, uses your cell phone camera. It's like hosting a chat room with video where everybody can come in, talk, ask questions. Really cool app. I think it's going to take off in the next few years. Again, it's Bleacher without the final E. So B-L-E-A-C-H, no E-R. Okay, so hopefully you spelled that right. Took me a minute to kind of process where where my brain was going. So if you're still listening to this pod and want to make fun of me, feel free. But just lose the last E in Bleacher. If you search it in the App Store, you'll find it very cool. Again, it's called Brownie Bites. Do it with my dude, Matt. It's a great show. And, and again, very very interactive, and I really like it. And uh, you should check it out. So uh, every Tuesday night at 8 o'clock if you want to join that. Otherwise, there's a new mock draft up on the website as well for Wednesday. So check that out for Mr. Stephen Thomas. He does a great job with those mock drafts, and we'll talk about it on Saturday as we normally do. We will have a great guest, Damian Parson, on to talk about the Cardinals for our Behind Enemy Lines Thursday podcast, and then, as usual, we'll be back with John Colosimo to talk at the end of the week about the AFC North and the NFL in general and Brandon Staley's love for making everybody happy with post-game comments and uh, picking all the Twitter threads and all that stuff to, to, you know, Pander to the audience. Just a funny ongoing thread for me. Anyway, we're out in the weeds. It's the end of this podcast. We're well past an hour. Thanks again to Josh. Check out the OBR's All-22 scouting notes for the offense. Appreciate that. Appreciate your support. Up to 313 reviews on the podcast. Means the world to me. Pretty positive stuff going on there. You guys are great. Great, great, great. And the show wouldn't survive, obviously, if it wasn't for you. So your support means the world to me. Appreciate you as always. Hopefully this is the Browns content you've been craving And it's delivered to you every day, and that's not going to stop for a long time. So appreciate your support of the OBR Film Breakdown. Have a great Wednesday, and we sign off with Go Browns. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile.